Welcome to the City Life Podcast. I'm Tim Woody, the pastor of City Life Church in downtown Fort Worth. There is purpose for your life. There's a destiny you have yet to walk into, and there is hope regardless of what you're facing today. I encourage you to open your heart now to what God will be speaking to you over these next few minutes. Chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, get your Bibles, Bible apps, get some notes out so you can be following along with us today. 1 Corinthians 15, I'm going to look at verses 57 and 58. Those two verses are going to be the bookends of my message today. I'm going to talk about it right at the beginning and right at the end as well. It's a powerful passage of Scripture. It's really my launching point. And I, uh, today I'm wrapping up this series called From Regrets to Possibilities. Uh, today is the final message in this series. And uh, this is all based upon Romans chapter number eight. It's often referred to as the most important chapter of the Bible. And I thank you because many of you have been reading through it. Uh, some of the most quoted scriptures that we that we uh, that we quote in, in really in Christianity comes from Romans chapter 8. And I challenge you to take a deep dive into Romans chapter 8 this week. Now, if you have the Bible app, and I hope you all do, uh, and you need to go into that. And if, you, if you've not yet done this, you go over to the very bottom right of the Bible app and click more. And then you'll have these options, and you'll see some options, and one of them is to identify your church. If you go in there and identify your church with City Life Church, downtown Fort Worth, that's what we're, we are called on the Bible app, City Life, uh, downtown Fort Worth, City Life Church. Go ahead and be, make that your church. And then what you'll find, and some of you have already gotten push notifications on this, is there is a reading plan I'm challenging everyone to go through. And it looks like this. It's called Renew, Romans chapter 8. And it is a reading plan. It's a, it's a little study plan from a uh, devotional plan from Romans chapter number eight by Tim Keller. I just finished it and I, I'm gonna go through it again this week. I'd like for you to go through it again with me. Romans chapter eight, it's a five, simple five-day reading plan. So join me on this devotional plan this week. And, uh, and again, make City Life your church on the app. Again, click more in the bottom. You'll see options pull up and on the menu, go to my church and make City Life Church your home church. And if you didn't get the push notification on that, still follow those steps, go to my church and you'll see this listed as our recommended Bible uh, study for this week. Well, the title of today's message is called No Ifs, Ands, or Buts. And now, now that title for today's message is, is an idiom which means, it means this, it means without doubt or without reservation. It means absolutely no excuses. There are no uh, discussion at all. Now, as I was preparing this message and, and came up with this title, I, I, I wrote something down in my notes. It's right at the very top of my notes as I began working through it about one of the first rules that Rebecca and I established in our marriage. And we established this actually while we were on our honeymoon. And we were in Acapulco, Mexico. We were at the Kalinda Hotel overlooking uh, the, the bay, Acapulco Bay. Beautiful, beautiful place. And, uh, and, and, I said, you know what? I want us to forbid a certain phrase in our marriage. And we're going we're gonna to forbid this. And we, we are never to say, I love you, but. 
And that's a, that was a big deal, still is. It was a big deal. So we can never can say, I love you, but, no, because I love you stands alone. There is no but to I love you. So that's been enforced all through our marriage. And if either one of us ever says, I mean, we call each other on it fast. It's, it's actually quite fun. And it's happened very, very seldom. And it's, what's crazy is I violated that yesterday. I did. I was getting ready to leave the house and I was, I was going to come and study and for the, for the rest of the day. It was about 1130. And I said, sweetheart, I'm going to, I, I, I said, I've got to, I've got to leave. I'm just, it's, you know, I've got to get stuff ready for tomorrow and I might be in late. And so I said, I love you, but I have to go. And she said, I love you, what? And I went, ah. So I had to stay, I had to repent of my sins, my evil deeds of saying I love you, but we got it all cleared up. We're still married. We're still okay here today. But we don't love conditionally. And that's, that's kind of like what it is. It's a fun thing that we do, but don't you dare say I love you, but to me. And I dare not say it to you. But, but, <laughs> See, there you go. You got to take that, that word, no ifs, ands, or buts. That's why I, I titled it this way. But that, the message that I'm sharing today has that same resonance to it. Uh, there are no ifs, ands, or buts about what God says to us in Romans chapter 8, verse 37, which I've been sharing with you in this series, which says we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. There are no ifs, ands, or buts about that. Now let's start off with the bookends. I said that there's this one passage of scripture that's going to be bookends on this message. And I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 57 and 58. And I encourage you to make sure these are, are underlined and marked in your Bible, highlighted, whatever you do it. Here it is. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Say victory. That's the key word. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, see, because he's given us victory, now here's how we act. It says, therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be firm, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Isn't that a beautiful scripture? I, I love that because it has always encouraged me you know, even as a pastor and, and as, a, as a father and as a husband, that, that scripture has always encouraged me just to hang in there and keep doing God's work no matter what. Because what I'm doing for the Lord will produce fruit. A.W. Tozier is a renowned Christian author and he wrote this book uh, many years ago, and it's called The Knowledge of the Holy. And there's one epic line in this book, and I want to read it to you. He says this. It's, a, it's a, like a game changer quote. He says, what comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. You know, I have to ponder on that for a second. So what I've done is I've taken that and kind of changed it into a little bit easier way of today's modern English of stating it. So in current vernacular, I would say it this way. The most important thing about you is what comes to mind when you think about God. I'll say it again. The most important thing about you is what comes to mind when you think about God. So 
How you see God determines how you see yourself. How you see God determines how you see your future. How you see God determines how you view your life. How you see God determines how you process the present. How you see God is how you walk in confidence and peace. Now, if you're not seeing God correctly, you may have astigmatism. That's something I have in one of my eyes. And it can distort your vision of everything else if, you're not, if it's not fixed. Well, I don't want us to have spiritual astigmatism. I want us to have a strong, correct view of God. So when you close your eyes, and now if you're going to close your eyes, don't, well, you, I'm going to say don't fall asleep, but typically we don't have trouble with people falling asleep in this church. But, but when you close your eyes and you think about God, what comes to mind? When you think about how God relates to you, what comes to mind? What imagery? What's, your, what's the picture of God? I mean, is God smiling? Is he laughing and warm and welcoming uh, with his arms wide open? Or are you picturing God as standoffish and aloof? angry, exasperated with a lightning bolt in his hand, you know. But when I think of God, I think of a few pictures. And the first one is of Jesus knocking on the door of our heart. And this is, this is something that, uh, that it's really based upon Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, where Jesus wants in. Uh, see, this picture hung on the wall of my childhood home, and I, I remember going to that picture and staring at every little detail for hours and hours. I love that picture. When I think about God, that's, that's one of the images that come to my mind. Uh, also, when I think about God and how he relates to me, I think of yet another image, and this is the image of Jesus praying over Jerusalem. This image also hung on our wall of my childhood home, and I, I remember so clearly it was in this elaborate gold frame. I loved even looking at the beauty of the frame. And it was a huge picture that, that was in our living room. And my mother always said this was her favorite because she had a vision of Jesus when she was a, a young adult. And, and, and this, this, this vision of Jesus, she says, this looks more like the vision of Jesus that I've seen anywhere. And so that was hung uh, on our wall. And this is a picture of Jesus praying over Jerusalem, which reminds me that he's still interceding for me. He loves me, and he's praying for me. He cares about me. That's one of the images that come to mind. And, and there, there's also a third image that I see when I think of, of God, and, and that is the image of the laughing Jesus. This is, this is a more, more modern uh, uh, image. This is a more modern painting, but I discovered this one myself as a young adult, and it reminds me that Jesus, the Son of God, loves to laugh, and he loves to have a good time, and who wouldn't want to hang around this man? So those are the three images of Jesus that hang, I guess, you could say, on the walls of my heart. And in many ways, they define how I see God. I believe in our culture, the predominant image of God that people see and that people think of when they think of God, they think of Jesus on the cross. And, uh, and that's, that's really, I would say, the best snapshot of God's amazing grace. But I, I don't want you to misinterpret what I'm about to say. We definitely need to have that image of Christ crucified but Jesus is not on the cross today. He's not there. In fact, we need to quit living as if Christ was still nailed to the cross. The cross is empty, and the tomb 
is empty. See, we need to have a vision of what God is doing in the here and now today and what God is going to do. Romans chapter eight, verse 34 says this. It says, Christ Jesus was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. So he is like between us and the Father and he's interceding on our behalf. And, and, and the reason that word also is in there is because a few verses back in Romans chapter eight, verse 26, it says, the spirit himself intercedes for us. So get this, the Holy Spirit and Jesus are both interceding for us. Now, if that doesn't give you holy confidence, I don't know what will. You've got two members of the Godhead, two members of the Trinity who are interceding on your behalf. They're in your corner, they're on your side, and we have to operate with that as a double blessing. Now, you, you've probably never heard of this person by the name of Angelo Dundee. I remember his imagery. I remember seeing him on television as a child, but, uh, but you would undoubtedly know the name Muhammad Ali. See, when I was growing up in the 1970s, Muhammad Ali was the undisputed world champion, heavyweight boxing champion of the world. I mean, yeah, that, was, that was it. I mean, in fact, at the very end of this last century, uh, Sports Illustrated named, uh, named Ali as the sportsman of the century. And that's huge. But for over two decades, there was this man by the name of Dundee. And he stood in Ali's corner, literally. He was Ali's corner man. He was the one who helped Ali to float like a butterfly and sting like a bee. <laughs> Here's another thing. This man, Dundee, he also trained 15 other world championship boxers. Angelo Dundee, he described his job as a corner man in these words. He says, when you're working with a fighter, you're a surgeon, you're an engineer, and you're a psychologist. And, and I was thinking about that. I said, you know what, that quote, that's a pretty good quote because that's a good way to describe our Lord Jesus Christ because he actually is our corner man. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, Paul exhorts us to fight the good fight of faith. And here's the truth. You're gonna get knocked down. You will, but you have a corner man who went three rounds with death itself. You see, he was knocked down when he was on the cross and the devil thought it was a knockout, but Jesus got right back up after three days. He won the fight over sin and death. And on the third day, he came walking out of the tomb. So where's Jesus now? Well, we just read it. He is at the right hand of the Father. And what's he doing? He's interceding for you and you and you and you and even me. He's in your corner. And here's how it works. Whenever the devil brings up some accusation against you and throws it out there, Jesus is there to refute that accusation. And his spirit is also there to strengthen you. And, and, and he's not the only one who's interceding for you, but you have the Holy Spirit doing it as well. So the Holy Spirit, there's a, there's a term that describes him that's used in the New Testament, and it's called paraclete. 
And we know the New Testament was written in Greek, and so, so that was the term that was taken from the culture to identify what the Holy Spirit is like. Now, paraclete is often translated in the New Testament as comforter or counselor, and I think that's good, but I also think, if I had my way, I mean, I think it would all, should also be translated corner man, because that's really what he is. You know, we're in this daily fight with the devil, and the Holy Spirit is our corner man. He is our paraclete. See, because paraclete, is, it's, a, it's a military term. So it was taken from that, and people understood that well. See, when Roman soldiers, whenever they would go into battle, and they were getting ready to do hand-to-hand battle, they would be paired with a paraclete. So this paraclete, what that person would do is they would simply watch their back all the time, watching their back. They're in their corner. And the Holy Spirit is like that. He's there. He has your back. Christ is in your corner. The prophet Isaiah said this, and he said it well. He said, your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of God will be your rear God. See, Christ is our righteousness. The glory of God is the presence of God. That's the Holy Spirit. Isn't it beautiful? So he's the one who goes before you. He's the one who comes after you. He's the one who will never, ever leave you nor forsake you. So (laughs) the cross is God's way of saying, I'm in your corner. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. So let me be explicitly clear. Four words. God is for you. God is for you. And I don't mean that he's 99% for you. And if you're only 99% certain of God's good intentions, then you have that 1% margin of error that will undercut all of your confidence. So let me kind of up the ante a little bit here. God is not 100% for you. God is 200% for you because you have two advocates, one before you, one behind you. And there's another angle that I can take on this as well. You don't belong to God once. You actually belong to God twice. Once you belong to God because he created you. He created you in his image as his child. And the second is by virtue of his redemption. So it proves that God loves you twice. God God was for you when he knit you together in your mother's womb. He was for you also when he died for you on Calvary. And God isn't just for you once, but he's for you twice. And I want to take this even one little step further. If you don't believe that God is 100% for you, possibly it's because you aren't 100% for God. Potentially, maybe you're, you're projecting this flaw about yourself or even a, a perceived flaw about yourself and you're projecting it upon God and possibly you're thinking, God is holding out on me. God is saying, well, I love you, but <laughs> maybe God doesn't have my back all the time, but it's because you're holding out on God and you're projecting that upon him. See, Jesus went all in on the cross, 100%. The ball is now in your court. He is definitely for you. So the question I want to ask you is, are you all in for him? Remember, Jesus gave 100% on the cross, and that 100% was for you. That's why Romans chapter 8, verses 37 says, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. And I preached on that line so many, several weeks in a row already. But... 
I want to take a look at what that means in the Greek language. The term overwhelmingly conquer, those two words is actually one term in the original language, in the Greek language. And it is a, it is a term called hupernikao. And it means this. It means to hyper-conquer, to over-conquer, to conquer with success to spare. What it means practically, it's a victory that is so potent that it demoralizes your opponent. That's what we have. That's who we are. So when I introduce myself, though, I mean, I don't say, hi, <laughs> I'm a hyper conqueror. I mean, people would say, okay, uh, whoa. see you later, dude. No, I, I use my given name, Tim or, 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 or Timothy. But the truth is, I am Tim and I am a hyper conqueror. Because God gives me the power to overconquer, to conquer with success, to spare. And that victories that God gives me are so potent that it demoralizes my opponent, which is hell. So when you look in a mirror, what do you see? What do you see? Do you see a hyper-conqueror? Are you seeing someone who overwhelmingly conquers? Quite often, unfortunately, we don't. But you are a hyper-conqueror. I know when you look in the mirror, you're seeing your imperfections. But your truest reflection is the image of God. And it's the identity that God has given you. Because you are in Christ. And because you are in Christ, you overwhelmingly conquer. So today, I challenge you to do this. Act like one who overwhelmingly conquers. Start acting like it. Because that's who you are in Christ Jesus already. So start acting like it. Start seeing yourself that way. What is it that specifically makes you uh, uh, an overwhelmingly conqueror? Who makes you that? What makes you that? Well, it's not a what, it's a who, and it's Jesus Christ. And Christ is on his majestic throne right now in heaven. He is the conquering lamb of God, and we are in him. Right now, there's this, there's this chorus of angels and elders and living creatures, and it's described for us in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, verse 12. There's this beautiful image of heaven where they are saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might, glory, honor, and blessing. So when we worship God, when you're adoring God, all you're doing is you're just joining in with this course that's already exalting him in heaven. It's beautiful. Back in 1977, I was in junior high. They don't have junior highs anymore. They have middle schools, but it was called junior high back then. And that made you feel pretty good. Middle school kind of feels like you're in between, but junior high is like, yeah, I'm almost to high school. But when I was in seventh grade is when you would start junior high back in those days. And I was, it was a 1977. I was attending Hastings Junior High in Hastings, Nebraska. And I remember so clearly that year was, in a brand, was when a brand new 45 came out. Some of you may not know what a 45 is, but a 45 is a little vinyl disc. It's a little larger than a CD, and it's played on a turntable or a record player. And in fact, jukeboxes used to use these 45s. Each 45 had two songs on it, one on the front, one on the back. How many of you have ever had 45s? Yeah, I remember those. I, I, I love them. But uh, there was this brand new 45 that was released debuting a song uh, by the British band Queen. And now what's interesting about this song, 
Scientific researchers have determined that this particular song is the catchiest song in all of pop music history. The catchiest song. It has this unique combination of, of jazz chords and has a dominant 13th, and that song is We Are the Champions. Now, it's hard to say the name of that song without beginning to sing it. I, I, I said, we are the champions to Ian last night to see what he would do, and he started singing. He's singing every verse. And like, I had words that were wrong, but he knew it. It's like, how do you know that? You weren't alive back then. You didn't have the 45, but whatever. You see, and it's, it's so incredible because even three years after the release of that 45, we are the champions was voted the world's favorite song in a worldwide music poll. Now, hold that thought. Back to Romans chapter 8. In Romans 8, if it were to be like a musical album, I would say that We Are the Champions would be the title track. Romans 8 is really like a power ballad. Uh, There's this melody that starts with no condemnation and that it ends with nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And the baseline would be all things work together for good. And the high falsetto would be we overwhelmingly conquer because we are champions, my friend, and we will keep on conquering to the end. Now, I just want to say this real quick. Freddie Mercury is by no means a theologian. <laughs> but if God can speak through a donkey, not saying he's a donkey, but I'll, I have to say there's some pretty good theology there if you were to put it in the light of scriptures. It's a, actually, it's a pretty, that song is a pretty good fair, paraphrase of Romans chapter 8. See, Romans 8, church, it should be our soundtrack. And uh, it might not Feel like it's your soundtrack on a bad day. And even if you failed a thousand times, I want to say it is your identity. What's in Romans 8 is your destiny. And if you think of, of it as being anything less of who you are in Christ, like, well, I don't know. But that, that's, that's actually false humility. We need to stop that. If you're a new believer, you're, you're beginning to follow the Lord, please understand it does take time to receive that new identity because you've been living in this old identity for so long. It's kind of like this. When I became a pastor, I didn't feel like a pastor. I, I, I really didn't. Uh, sure, I had been raised in a pastor's home. I went to college and I got a degree in pastoral ministries. I served on the staff of a pastoral, I served on a pastoral staff at a large church for, for over a decade. And, and, but, but when I became a senior pastor, it took several months for me to take on that full identity because for a while I felt like I was faking it. But then I realized, no, that's not, that's not true. And it's the same truth with your identity as one who overwhelmingly conquers. Because even if you you feel like you are losing more battles than you are winning, you are still overwhelmingly a conqueror. The battle isn't yours to lose. The battle is the Lord's. And Jesus Christ has already conquered. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Now, as I begin to wrap up this sermon and really wrap up this series from Romans 8, I'm going I'm to insist on something. I want to insist after preaching this for, for four weeks now, I want you to act on what you hear. I want you to take action on it. Knowing what I've shared with you, uh, what, what are you going to do with all this? 
Are you going to let it be an inspiration? Because sometimes we get inspired at church and then Monday morning comes around, we don't even remember and we're kind of like back down. I, I, I want you, this, this series has not just been about inspiring you, but about lifting you up. So what are you going to do with what I've been sharing over the past few weeks and today? What actions, what specific actions are you going to take regarding your personal decisions, regarding your family, your home, your business, even your attitude, knowing that you overwhelmingly conquer through Christ? James 1.22 says this in the message version of the Bible. I love this. It says, don't fool yourself into thinking that you're a listener when you're everything but letting the word go in one ear and out the other. Then he says, act on what you hear. Those who hear and don't act are like those who glance in a mirror and just walk away and two minutes later have no idea who they are or what they look like. So what do we do? We act on what we hear and that's what I want you to do. I asked you a few moments ago to consider what you see when you look in the mirror. If you're a disciple of Jesus, then you should see someone who overwhelmingly conquers. I want you to begin to act on what God says about you as if it were true because it is true. So how are you going to take action with your personal decisions? How are you going to take action with your family, your home, your business, your attitude, knowing that you overwhelmingly conquer through Christ? He is here for you and he is not against you. Take a look again at 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, verse 57. This is the final bookend that I told you about. Look at this, because it gives us the answer of how to do this. Thanks be to God who gives us victory. That's the being overwhelmingly conqueror, all right? He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, now again, that's the transition word. Therefore, there is action we need to take. Look, my beloved brothers and sisters, be firm, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. And I declare that scripture to every volunteer. I declare that to every person who's making Jesus known in the community, on your cultural street, to every person who's being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Because all of these things in Romans 8, we find all of them, all of these things, and we are to be firm. We are to be immovable. We are to excel in the work of the Lord always. And we need to know this. Our labor is not in vain. Now, in preaching this message, if you have not yet received Christ, now's the time to do so because this is yours. I want uh, just nobody looking around right now. I want us to pray. Nobody moving in the room. I want us to pray. And if, if you are not a believer, first and foremost, I want to give you the opportunity to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. The way to do that is just to lift your hand when I give a count to three, and that will let me know that you want to receive Christ into your life. By lifting your hand, you're going to pray a prayer with me and your life will be transformed through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the blood of Jesus Christ. His righteousness is before you. Your righteousness, which is in Jesus. Spirit of God, the glory of God is your rear guard. If you want to give your life to Jesus, the count of three, lift your hand for me. One, two, three, lift it up so I can see it. Thank you. 
Thanks. Put your hands down. Anyone else? Let's pray. I want you to pray this prayer with me and mean it really from the bottom of your heart. As you give your life to Christ, congregation, will you pray this prayer with me as well as an encouragement to those who are giving their lives to Christ right now? Pray these words. Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Wash me in your precious blood. Today I make the choice to give up my old life and to serve you with all of my heart. I give my life to you. Thank you. Thank you for making me a new creation. Come on, say thank you for making me a new creation. In Jesus' name, amen. Now take a look at me. Now hopefully with every single person in this room, with your salvation assured, I have this last word for you as I wrap up this series of messages. Act like the one who overwhelmingly conquers because that's who you are in Christ Jesus. Right now, if you're going to be baptized, those who are helping with baptism, if you'll please go ahead and get into place. But what I also want to do right now, I want us to not pay attention to that. I want us to close that off. And the best way to do that is just to close your eyes and focus because I'm I want to pray over you right now. I want to pray over every person, every man and woman, every young person in this room. I want you to receive this prayer. Come on, just receive this. Open your heart. God, I want to thank you for your revelation. I want to thank you for revealing yourself to us. God, I want to thank you that you have shown us through your word what the truth of God is. And I want to thank you, Lord, that you are helping us to excel in the work of the Lord. God, based upon what we know, what we have received and how we've been encouraged, God, let us excel in the work of the Lord. God, let us punch the accelerator in our life when it comes to the work of the Lord. God, I pray that there will be just new fortitude in our lives, that we will have new strength in our lives, that we will be able to, to, uh, to, to labor and serve you knowing that our labor is not in vain. And God, that we will be people who are firm. God, we're not going to be squishy. We're not going to be leaning one way or another, but we will be firm. Our feet will be firmly planted on the ground and that we will be immovable. That means the enemy is not going to be able to distract us, to beat us up, to show us a reflection of our lives that's different than what Jesus Christ died for. And God, that you will give us the ability to take confident action moving into our future. And we receive this and we pray this and believe for this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 If you're watching online, I want to thank you for joining us today. And we're going to release our online congregation as we move into this time of water baptism. God bless you. Now for water baptism today. Thank you for tuning in to the City Life Church podcast. I would love for you to attend one of our worship services right here in downtown Fort Worth. So if you'd like more information, simply go to citylifefw.org. God bless.